This is PRN, your as-needed dose of medical knowledge. I'm Alana Castro-Gilliard. And I'm Chandler Davis. This podcast provides general information and discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. It is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice for the practice of medicine. The views expressed herein do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Adward via College of Osteopathic Medicine or any other institution or employer. Last month, we learned about maternal substance use. Join me as we switch gears to the world of pediatrics and neonatal abstinence syndrome with Dr. Justin DeHaze. If you haven't already, make sure to follow our new Instagram at PRNMedPodcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Justin DeHaze. I am a general pediatrician, but also a hospice and palliative medicine physician as well. I currently serve as medical director of a newborn nursery and medical director of a NAS program, which is um, neonatal abstinence syndrome, running a program in nursery for babies that are at risk of having opioid withdrawal after they're born. So you sent me some of your stuff beforehand, and one of the things that I noticed, and you even said it now, is that these babies that have NAS are going through withdrawal, but they're not actually addicted. Can you break down the definitions of those words for us? Because for me, I don't think I know the nuances of those words quite yet. Yes, and this is something I always like to make clear, kind of a soapbox of mine, because you might hear in the media or other sources that babies are born addicted, and that is not the case. So for addiction, you have to have a developed brain that, can crave um, a substance, and newborn babies don't have the developed brain to have addiction. And addiction, I just, that was just a very simple definition, but addiction is very complex. It's a um, chronic disease. There's a lot of factors involved with people that are struggling with addiction. And babies are, newborn babies just aren't able to comprehend addiction and um, they don't have the mature brain um, to have an addiction process going on. So a newborn baby goes through withdrawal. So they, during pregnancy, you know, they're inside mom's belly um, in the womb and they're consistently exposed to sometimes it's illegal substances. Um, other times it's prescribed substances. And so for their time in utero, they're getting consistent exposure to a substance. And then once they're born, the umbilical cord is cut, they're no longer getting that exposure to that um, substance or medication. And so their bodies go through a withdrawal process. So if you think about it, um, you know, we as medical professionals, a lot of us uh, need caffeine to function. And if you went a couple days and didn't have caffeine, you would see some symptoms or side effects from not having that caffeine. A lot of people say they get a headache um, if they don't have that um, caffeine that they're used to. That's just a very simple example. Um, so for the baby during pregnancy during that time in utero they're getting they're used to that opioid ex- 
exposure, and then after being born, their body's no longer getting that exposure, so they experience a withdrawal process. That's a really interesting comparison, the coffee comparison. Um, I think a lot of people can probably relate to that, especially medical students. Yes. Um, are, <laughs> are there some addictions that you see more often in these, or not, sorry, not addictions. Uh, I guess the addiction would be in the parent, but are there mm-hmm. some, uh, I, I don't even know how to phrase it, some sort of withdrawal symptoms from a certain substance that a, a baby is experiencing more often? Yes, so the number one substance that babies are exposed to is tobacco. Um, so moms that are um, either smoking cigarettes or uh, cigarettes or doing the um, e-cigarettes, e-cigarettes, the vaping, um, they are getting exposed to tobacco. So once they're born, they're no longer getting that tobacco exposure. And so babies will have some symptoms, signs and symptoms of um, that nicotine exposure. And it's actually um, a toxicity instead of so much, not so much a withdrawal, it's a toxicity from that exposure. So in the first 48 hours, we see um, like jitteriness, like tremoring. Uh, we see restlessness. We see um, poor feeding. Uh, we see kind of... Um, Frankie, um, inconsolable, but with nicotine, which is the number one that we see, it is not as severe or long-lasting as an exposure to an opioid. Um, so it's and it's just we just see nicotine toxicity in the first couple of days, and it's very mild uh, compared to if a mom was using opioids or is on a prescribed. Uh, opioid medication, that process is um, more severe and, and looks different and lasts longer. Do you guys have to evaluate or is there a way for you guys to evaluate the extent of a withdrawal that a neonate will face? Like is there a, a spectrum of withdrawal? And I know you said some with some are more addictive properties, like opioids have more addictive properties than cigarettes might. Mm-hmm. Um, how, do you, how do you evaluate for that? Yes. So a lot of um, it depends on the substance that mom is using. And we have to go by her history, what um, she reports to us or what she is reported to the OB. To get that information, you have to ask in a non-judgmental, honest, open ended question and sometimes it it takes a while to build trust between the the mom and the provider so that she will share that information with you. But what we're seeing now is that because of the emphasis on the opioid epidemic and the less judgmental as as the community and communities and states and, you know, um, not just the healthcare community, but also the political community, they're bringing more attention and trying to reduce the stigma associated with addiction and um, opioid use disorder. Um, a lot of our moms 
are in a treatment program and on our and they are on a prescribed opioid medication such as methadone or Subutex or Suboxone. So if we know that mom is on a medication like that and that she's in a treatment program, we know the half-life for those medications. So for the Subutex and Suboxone, the half-life is is long, not as long as methadone, but um, longer than heroin. And so we expect to see the peak of withdrawal in the baby between day three and five. And because of that, we watch these babies um, for signs of NAS for a minimum of five days. Now, with the methadone uh, medication, methadone has a very long and variable half-life. It reacts differently in different different individuals. So, Sometimes with the methadone, we won't see a withdrawal process till seven days old. Um, so it just depends on the substance or medication that mom is on. If a mom comes in and tells us, hey, I've been using heroin every day, heroin is very short acting. So we're going to be, we're going to see withdrawal in the baby right away, usually in the first 24 hours of life. You're talking a lot about the the symptoms, I guess, um, that a baby would experience or a neonate would experience in the first few days. But mm-hmm. are there short and also long-term implications then for the neonate other than maybe the irritability or the symptoms of withdrawal? Yeah, so great question. So um, most of the signs and symptoms are, basically all the signs and symptoms are controlled by the nervous system. So you're going to have that irritability, unable to calm down or console, not sleeping, um, not able to coordinate feeds. So they can't, um, they don't eat well because they can't coordinate the suck, swallow, breathe to take a bottle or even to breastfeed. They have a lot of GI upset because our GI system is very innervated. There's a lot of um, nerves throughout our GI tract. So they um, have a lot of vomiting, they have a lot of diarrhea, um, a lot of like gassiness and just uh, general tummy upset and discomfort. They also, because of the diarrhea and the irritability, they will get excoriation of their skin, like rubbing and kind of raw and uh, skin breakdown on their bottoms, but actually any part of their skin. And a lot of times their cheeks and their um, chin as well. Um, so just the skin gets rubbed raw or the um, the buttocks get rubbed raw from the diarrhea. Um, their tone, they have hypertonia. Um, their tone, they're very tense and tight. So they, they can't relax their muscles. Um, and then very tachypnic, so um, breathing very their whole body is affected by the opioid exposure and then going through a withdrawal process. The good thing about withdrawal is that it's temporary. It's not gonna it's not something permanent. It's just temporary until the body the little baby's body gets over from withdrawing from the substance they were exposed to. But the big things we're looking at, the things that will 
get the infant off to a better or worse start are their eating. So um, we want them to be able to eat and grow and gain weight and thrive. We want them to be able to um, sleep or rest um, comfortably or in calmly. So um, whether they're able to sleep for an hour or um, whether they're able just to, you know, lay in their um, crib and, you know, be in a calm state. And then if a baby's having severe withdrawal, they are not going to be able to console or uh, be calm. So uh, they're so irritable and just not feeling good that they will just cry and scream and they can't rest or um, calm down. So we're looking at how they're feeding, can they sleep, and then can they calm down. So there's a lot of little signs and symptoms, but the three things we look for to indicate if a baby might need some medication or not for withdrawal are the eating, the sleeping, and the consoling. Most of your work is the short-term trying to manage a lot of these symptoms, but then I feel like there's this term that gets used a lot in the media or in movies that people say, oh, well, he was a drug baby or something like that, mm-hmm. implying that there are long-term effects of uh, maternal substance use. Is that is there actually any research on this that shows that development later on is impacted? We don't get into a lot of education on this. It's just a lot of the stuff that you hear in the media. Yeah, no, that's a great question, and that is something that I've always kind of wondered slash worried about. There are a few studies out there looking long-term at babies that had NAS or opioid withdrawal, and those studies showed that the children that had NAS as babies, that they had have had some issues with learning disabilities, mostly ADHD. Also that their testing scores are a little bit lower than their peers that were not exposed to opioids. However, I will tell you those studies, this is a hard thing to study because do they have ADHD and learning disabilities because of the opioid exposure in utero or is it because of the environment that they've been raised in, you know, their socioeconomic status. Because a lot of these families, the households are chaotic. So you have um, a mom that, you know, is in her own treatment program trying to be on the road to recovery, trying to um, battle her struggle with addiction, but then also be a mom and raise children. And a lot of times there's not a a lot of family support to help the mother as she's going through her own journey, but also trying to raise her kids. So when the few studies that we have that have shown this outcome, a lot of, um, you know, people in the medical community said, well, you can't really say that the lower test scores are because of the opioid exposure because it might just be environmental factors as the child is growing up. Um, so we do know that the environment makes a big difference. And so any child, whether they're exposed to substances in utero or not, if they're raised in a chaotic household, they're, they, um, 
you know, have a higher risk of having um, issues at school. Are there certain areas of the country or demographics that are seeing higher rates of NAS than others? Um, and particularly, I know the opioid epidemic is everywhere, but... Yes, yeah, so you are correct in saying that it's a nationwide problem, that it really has touched every part of the country. But um, the area of the country that has been impacted the most is the Appalachian region because of the coal mining towns and the um, workers that were prescribed opioids for pain, you know, from doing their hard work and their labor. What we now know is that opioids aren't the uh, first choice for treating back pain and other kinds of musculoskeletal pain. Um, so we do know that the Appalachian region of the country has higher numbers of NAS and opioid use disorder. I will tell you that six, seven years ago, places, facilities, NICUs in West Virginia um, were seeing this a ton. And they had so many NAS babies that their NICU was full of NAS babies instead of preemies that should be in a neonatal ICU. And then in our part of the state, Southwest Virginia, it's, um, you know, the last five years we've seen a big impact, a big percentage. So it's, there's been other parts of the country, like I mentioned, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, had to find a way to better take care of these babies because the numbers were so huge. And then places like Virginia, North Carolina, you know, Florida, other places across the country looked at West Virginia's model of care to see if if that was something that would work for their facilities. Try and see and fit things to the population that is being impacted. Um, Yeah. In the last interview that we did, we spoke with Dr. Kim Simcox about uh, maternal substance use. Uh-huh. Um, and one of the topics that we hit on that I find very interesting is that a lot of this is the intersection of public health and the law. And so do you guys have any sort of, I guess, uh, contact with law enforcement? And what do you guys do what happens to mom once she delivers if she's using an illicit substance? And if mom isn't present, what exactly happens to the baby? And are you guys involved in this process, or is this more of a social worker issue? Yeah, it's more social work because we as the medical team, our, our goal is not to, like, be law enforcement and say, oh, you broke the law, you've got to, you know, do this now. Um, our job is to take care of um the as a pediatrician take care of the baby medically um so in the state of virginia it is mandated it's a law that any baby that has substance exposure so this could be marijuana because marijuana is illegal could be opioids even if a mom is in a treatment program um we have to notify CPS once the um, baby is born. 
and CPS's Child Protective Services. Now, CPS's goal is to keep the mom and baby together. Their goal is to keep the family intact because we know babies just do better with their mom. So if mom is in a treatment program, you know, doing the best she can with her um, road to recovery, uh, CPS doesn't do anything. But if a mom is using, you know, heroin or cocaine, things that are illegal and could potentially, you know, be harmful, well, would be harmful if she continued using around the baby, um, they will, a lot of times, CPS will intervene and they will try to find a family member that can provide a safe environment for the baby. If there are no family members that can provide that safe environment, the baby would um, be placed in foster care. And a lot of times with foster care, not all the time, but a lot of times, the foster parents will end up adopting the baby. If, you know, after six months, one year, two years, mom hasn't demonstrated that she can, you know, provide a safe environment, um, the foster parents a lot of times will adopt the baby or now toddler. Because they, they give mom, they give the moms time to, you know, get their life together and um, try to get help. Well, that's good to know because I think a lot of us medical students don't have any sort of knowledge of these kind of processes. Um, yeah, it's kind of out of our hands medically because, you know, the the state law is that they have to be reported. So our social workers contact Child Protective Services and then Child Protective Services, you know, just analyzes the situation and makes the decision. Sometimes it's very frustrating for us as medical providers because we don't always agree with CPS's decisions. And that goes both mm-hmm. ways. There's been times where I'm like, this mom is doing a good job. She's taking care of her baby. And then there's been times where I've said, this mom hasn't been here at all. You know, she's not ready to change yet. You know, she's not ready to um, focus on recovery yet. So it, it can get frustrating as medical providers. Um, but, again, it's not our place. Um, and we just have to take the best care of the baby that we can. Um, I have had a couple instances where CPS will ask me um, kind of what I have seen and observed in my thoughts, but um, that doesn't always happen. I didn't know if there was anything else that you felt would be important for medical students to know about this kind of thing or what we could do to best be prepared if we come across this in our rotations or in our residencies? Yeah, I would say the biggest thing and what I I have had to learn personally over the years, but then also to teach to my nursing staff and then my colleagues is to not be judgmental. In the past, addiction was looked at as a moral failure, like, oh, you're just not strong enough to say no. But we've learned more about the physiology and the science behind addiction. And if you um, talk to a lot of these moms and get to know them, they've had a very difficult life. A lot of them um, have been abused as children, whether that's 
uh, physical or sexual abuse or have been, you know, victims of domestic violence. They have not had an easy life or they're struggling with uh, mental health disorders. Um, so they have turned to substances to kind of self-medicate and then they've become addicted. Uh, so we've, we had to really change our culture here in order to, to take good care of these families that we are a judgment-free zone and we're going to try to help you the best that we can and, and not be judgmental and to educate and re-educate and try to get mom and baby off to a healthy start. And also just knowing that this could be us, you know, we as the healthcare providers could easily um, have been in a similar situation in terms of um, substances. This could be our children, this could be our neighbors um, that are struggling with addiction. So um, just trying to trying to um, sympathize um, and try to meet them where they're at. These moms really love their babies. After the baby is born, the baby gives them more motivation to stay clean and stay in their treatment program. I think it can be so easy to pass judgment on someone else when you haven't lived their life or if you feel that they've gotten all the same opportunities that you have um, when they might not have. I do like to end the interview with a little bit of a set of advice from someone who has already gone through the process of medical school and residency. Um, and I didn't know if you had a sort of um, set of, like I said, a set of advice for medical students as they're going through this rigorous process to become physicians. Definitely don't give up. It, it's hard work, but um, but you can do it if you've gotten this far. I because I get asked this a lot as a female attending from female students and even female residents, is about having families and having children and having babies as a female physician. So this is my advice. There really is never a great time to have a baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> so if you if you and your spouse or partner are ready to have children and have a family, then that means it's the right time. Um, a lot of, including me, my residency took a little bit longer because I missed time having babies, and it has not hurt me at all. It just took me three and a half years instead of three years, and I wouldn't change that for anything. So same with medical school. I know some people that had babies during medical school and it just took them a little bit longer to finish. It really, it, it's not negatively impacted my job. It's not negatively impacted uh, me getting a fellowship. It, um, so I think, fam you know, we get bogged down in medicine and we um, forget to live our lives and um, focus on what's really important. Um, because the work, the patients are always going to be there. There's never, there's never a shortage of patients. Um, <laughs> but your family is very important. So when, when you're ready to have babies, don't worry about the school. Don't worry about the training programs. It all works out. 
Um, it just might take you a little bit longer to finish, and it's totally worth it. Well, that's some uh, really beautiful and obviously very helpful advice for people that are thinking about starting families. Um, I just want to thank you so much for having this conversation with us today. Oh, yeah, no, thank you for asking. For more PRN, please be on the lookout. If you like this episode, tell someone about it and start up a conversation. I'm Alana Castro-Gilliard. I'm Chandler Davis. And this is PRN.